Good morning. We will, uh, uh, if you're not turned there, we're going to, we'll start in Hebrews, but we're going to end up um, in Genesis a lot. So make sure you um, plug your finger back there. Uh, so this morning, um, if there's any ever idea that um, even pastors, as Jimmy said, even, even pastors with their kids, it's not as easy as it uh, sometimes seems. Uh, this morning was quite a morning in my house as well. <laughs> and uh, ended up having to ask forgiveness of my own children. <laughs> as it was, just, uh, it was just a tough morning. It was just sometimes things come together to just create a giant uh, testing site for my home. And God tests me nowhere greater than in my own home. <laughs> and so I know as parents, probably you sometimes feel the same way. And, uh, and so this morning, um, I just uh, am praying for grace and mercy and, uh, uh, and just uh, really excited. Um, this morning, we're going to be looking at our first uh, female in our list of uh, Hebrews 11. And uh, I'm excited to tell the story. And uh, mainly because it's a pretty amazing and crazy and just interesting story. I think maybe it's one of, one of my more favorite stories in the Bible and, uh, and of what it says. And so uh, we're going to start out, obviously, in Hebrews 11. Uh, and we're going to look at 11 and 12 uh, before we really start telling the story uh, of Sarah. So what's interesting, Hebrews, you know, it always gives you one or two verses. And then the Old Testament really expands on those one or two verses. And Sarah is one of those characters that spans a lot of information. And so... Uh, so verse 11, it says, By faith, even Sarah herself received ability to conceive even beyond the proper time of life, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, also there was born of one man, and him as good as dead, at that as many descendants as the stars of the heaven in number, and innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to... Open your word. God, I thank you that uh, it is uh, a true joy and an honor to be able to open it and to read it. God, I pray that you continue to give us a, a longing for your word. God, allow us to crave for, for your word and your, your holy gospel to us. God, in this morning, we're going to have a voice from a woman just screaming at us from the grave, something that she wants to say to us. God, I pray that we would have eyes to see and ears to hear this morning. God, that we would learn greater what it means to walk in faith, to walk by faith. We thank you for Sarah and her message. I pray that you would just uh, allow us to hear it this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. So Sarah is, a, again, an interesting story. And Sarah has a lot going for her. Um, at the beginning here, technically her name is Sarai, and we'll get into that in a minute, but I'm just going to call her Sarah just for uh, the sake of not trying to get the right one every time. <laughs> and so Sarah has a lot going for her, okay? And so uh, one, of the, one of the things she has going for her, she's married to Abraham. Abraham is a pretty successful human being. So again, she marries Abraham before Abraham's call in 12. But he's a pretty successful guy, and the place he is from is known for a, a high education. And so Abraham, and obviously though Abraham didn't own anything in the promised land, he did bring a lot of stuff with him. He had, though he slept in tents, he had a lot of tents. 
He had a lot of animals. He had a lot of people that traveled with him. And so Sarah has married this man, Abraham, who is a pretty successful guy. And now it turns out he's a, a, a great man in the sight of God too, right? Uh, the other thing, another thing she has going for her is Sarah is unusually beautiful. So the Bible talks about Sarah being amazingly beautiful and just a real knockout. And, uh, and so we see that first in Genesis 12. All right, I told you, we're going to be reading a lot of the Bible this morning, mainly because I think it tells the, the story better than I do. And so just be prepared to open up to Genesis 12 and just start turning pages as we go. Okay? And so it says, Genesis 12, 10 through 15, it says, Now there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. It came about when he came near to Egypt that he said to, his, to Sarai, his wife, See, now I know that you are a beautiful woman, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, This is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will let you live. Please say that you are my sister, so that it may go well with me because of you, and that I may live on account of you. It came about when Abram came into, the, came into Egypt, the Egyptians saw the woman was very beautiful. Pharaoh's officials saw her and praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. So this is our first picture of Sarah being beautiful, right? They go to, they're in Canaan, but there's a famine, so they go to Egypt, and Pharaoh wants Sarah, right? And Abram tells a half-truth, because we won't get into all that, but technically Sarah is, is his half-sister, so he tells a half-truth, which is never a good option. But that's kind of our first sight. Now, the interesting part this, at this point, Sarah is looking at, at around 65 years old, all right? I know all of a sudden, it's talking about this beautiful woman, and she's up in age, right? And yet she's still a knockout. And you think, okay, so can it get more? And again, Sarah was 90 years old when it comes about again. We get this picture of her beauty and of really men like wanting to come after her, right? I'm going to do my best to keep this morning rated PG, but, but this woman at 90 years old still has men coming after her. Genesis 20, it says, Abraham said of his wife Sarah, she is my sister. Different story, does the same thing. So Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream of the night and said to him, Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is married. So this, even this king Abimelech wants this woman, 90 years old, still just a knockout. You know people like this, right? That You're like, why are they so beautiful? Why does everybody want them, right? So you have, all, you have these things going for her, and yet... There is a skeleton in the closet for Sarah. There's a problem for Sarah, right? She looks like she has everything going for her. Everything is on the right track. And yet we see in Genesis 11, verse 30, it says, Sarai was barren. She had no child. So she has all of this stuff going for her. And now it turns out, she can't have kids. And for women in, at this day and age, it, it really is, is almost like a curse that you are not able to have children. So with all of these good things going in her life, she has the inability to conceive life, incubate life, and deliver new life. She has all of this, and yet her capacity for bearing life in her own body is missing. And all of a sudden, we start to see this reality, this parallel, that Sarah's 
physical reality is much like many people's spiritual reality, right? So barren, she, she looks like she has a lot going for her, Sarah, right? And yet she's barren. We see this, right? We have a lot of people that we see look like they have a lot going for them. And yet, their ability to house life is, does not exist, right? They look like they have everything. And yet, inside them, they do not have the ability to house life, right? They're just living in the reality of existence because life isn't there. You're going through the motions, right? You're doing things. You're doing this. You're doing church. You're going through the motions. Why? Because you don't have the ability to house life. The ability to live out of that life isn't there either, right? And so ideally, or evidently, brokenness, emptiness is the way we live because we really don't have the ability to house life. And that's kind of what Sarah is looking at, right? You're 65 years old. You have no children up until this point. I think you understand your time is up, right? Your time is over. Your time is past. Time is no longer your friend. And I'm sure for a lot of people, right, They've been spiritually barren for an extended period of time. Maybe you've been lifeless for an extended period of time. Maybe you're characterized by loneliness because you're separated and barren relationally. Maybe you're characterized by defeat because you're not as successful as you thought you would be by now. You're not as successful as many people thought you would be by now. Maybe your dreams are shattered. Maybe the things that you grew up understanding to be a reality, understanding to be a possibility, just haven't come about, just haven't happened. And yet we think it's a stretch to think that Sarah's barrenness is related to my spiritual barrenness. And yet Jesus comes in and he says this, right? Jesus says in John 10, 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I come... That they may have what? Life. And have it abundantly. Right? So Sarah has, doesn't have this ability to house life. And often we find ourselves in the same boat. We find ourselves barren and tired and sad. Living the existence, right? Living in whatever life that we have in front of us. And just understanding, well, that's just, just, it's just how it's going to have to be. Because I don't have anything else. I don't have anything left to give. And now we see this story of Sarah. We look into chapter 12 of Genesis. This is the calling, right, of Abraham. So again, we talked a lot about Abraham last week and that calling to journey, right? The journey of faith and to walk. And he starts to enter into Canaan. And at this point, again, Abraham and Sarah are already married at this point when they start this journey into Canaan. So they already know they're unable to have kids. And yet, God comes along and promises them children. Promises them a great nation, a great people that was in 12, right? In Hebrews 12, outnumbers the stars in the heavens, 
from their own offspring. Two old people. So we see in Genesis 12, verse 7, and you're going to get this rhythm of God's going to show the promise and Abraham and Sarah are going to buck the promise and then God's going to show the promise and they're going to, and it goes back and forth. Genesis 12, 7. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. So he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. We see it again if you turn over to 12, or chapter 15 of Genesis. Verse 1 through 4. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abram. I am, sh- am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me since I am childless? And the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abraham said, Since you have given no offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man will not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body. He shall be your heir. So again, God has promised in 12. God promises again in 15. While God is talking, Abram is like, well, I don't actually have a child, so this servant will be my heir. So often a servant born in your, in your house then, if you did not have children, would be your heir. So he says, this guy is obviously my heir. And so we start to realize even Abram does not get the, the promises of God very well. Why? We kind of jump on him and you think, this is crazy. Again, Abraham and Sarah. Abraham's 75 years old. Sarah's 65. It is too late to expect life. Right? Their time is up. She's been lifeless for so long. And yet often we find ourselves walking the same road. Right? It's been too long. We shouldn't expect that God could use us, that God could fill us. We've been lifeless for so long. We've walked this mundane road for so long that oftentimes we see the promises of God and yet we don't believe them because we don't expect it can happen. We think, well, my time is past, my time is up. And so we get to the interesting part of the story. Sarah does what we often try to do, and she decides she wants to help. She wants to help God out, right? Have you ever had, when your kids want to help you, and it's like, man, I want to be a good parent, but dang, my kitchen's going to look like a wreck when I'm done, right? Oh, I want to help. I want to help. Well, we only have this much milk. If we spill it all, it's all gone. So even though God says this and promises this, Sarah decides God doesn't understand the biology of what is happening, right? She has this thought that like, okay, God is a bit confused, right? He's lost a little bit of contact on how this whole baby thing happens. I've been barren for 65 years. I do not have babies. You do not have babies, right? It's not something that happens. And so she's going to help out. So Sarah does what many of us like to do when God starts talking crazy, right? We want to help him out, right? Many of us have have heard the promises of God and seen the promises of God, and we begin to justify him away because clearly God's a little 
I mean, a little crazy. So Sarah has this great idea in Genesis 16. She will find a replacement. Did you ever see that movie, The Replacements, the football movie? It, it was rough. And this story is going to turn out very similar. Genesis 16, verse 1 through 3. Now Sarai, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian maid whose name was Hagar. So when they were in Egypt, they picked up this maid named Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, Now behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I will obtain children through her. And Abraham listened to the voice of Sarai. And Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan. Abram's wife Sarai took Hagar, the Egyptian, her maid, and gave her to her husband Abram as his wife. So Sarah has come up with a great plan. I mean, this is a great plan. Clearly, every husband and wife thinks this is a great plan. So probably what God means is, Abraham, you should take Hagar and you should make a baby with her. That way that child will be our heir. This is funny, right? So because Sarah thinks she's going to help God out, we start to see a giant conflict. I know nobody saw this coming in the story, right? When somebody decides to help out in this way, obviously something is about to happen. And he says, Genesis 16, verse 4, he went into Hagar and she conceived. So not only did this plan like was thought up in somebody's mind, they actually did the plan. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her sight. I think this is what you would call, maybe I shouldn't say cat fight, but this is kind of what's happening at this point. <laughs> right? This has become, a, a, it's kind of blown up in their faces. And now, before though, we start jumping on Sarah kind of and being shocked, right? We have that shock value that's like, so you're telling me you're okay with that woman going to, that, to your husband and having a child for you? It's pretty common practice in their day. If a woman of the house was not able to have children, she would often take a maid and give, it, give her to her husband so that they could conceive children, so that they could have heirs. So before we begin to jump on her, what we see is Sarah is looking for a human solution to bring about a supernatural promise, right? She's looking for human means, a human solution. She sees the picture, right, that God has painted, but she doesn't see it like God painted it. She sees it like she wants to see it. And she's like, well, God needs my help. And so I'm going to, I can't see any other option, right? I'm old. I'm barren. I don't see another option. So this is the option. This is the cultural option of my day, so obviously that's what God wants me to do. And oftentimes, one of the many reasons that many of us are not experiencing the promises of God is we resort to human solutions to reconcile solutions, to reconcile situations God obviously doesn't understand, right? 
We're looking for a human solution because God has promised these things. Because obviously God doesn't understand the culture. He doesn't understand the, the time in which we live. Right? And so God isn't really being culturally relevant. So I have to kind of interpret the situation and assist the God of the universe. It sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? It's, I almost can't even say it. And yet, this is what we do, right? How often are we trying to make things culturally relevant for the day? Well, obviously, God doesn't, I mean, God doesn't understand. These, these are different times, and now he doesn't understand where we live now. So I have to make sure that the solution is from the day and time in which I live. And since this was common practice, it really wasn't that far of a stretch. For us, it seems crazy, but for them, it wasn't that far of a stretch to do what she was doing. And yet, this is where we find ourselves often. We look for human answers. When God is asking us to walk in faith, we're looking for human solutions. And again, we tie it to the New Testament. And we start to see this, this story of Sarah and Hagar unfold even in the New Testament. And this conflict that is began continues on. Continues on for years and years and years. And Paul even talks about it being relevant to now. This same conflict. So we're going to look at Galatians 4. And it says, tell me, you... We're going to be in verse 21. Tell me, you who want to be under law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the bondwoman and one by the free woman. But the son by the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and the son by the free woman according through the promise. So again, you have Hagar and Sarah. Right? You have this conflict that is still working about. It says, this is allegorically speaking, for these women are two covenants, one proceeding from Mount Sinai, bearing children who are, to be, who are to be slaves. She is Hagar. Now, this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free. She is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, barren woman who does not bear. Break forth and shout, you who are not in labor. For, no, for more numerous are the children of the desolate than of the one who has a husband. Just because it looks good doesn't mean that's what's going to bring about good. From barrenness, right? Then, and you, brethren, like Isaac, are children of promise. But as at that time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was according to the spirit. So it is now also. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son. For the son of the bondwoman shall not be an heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of a bondwoman, but of the free woman. So this same conflict that is born out of these decisions, Paul starts to piggyback the story about how as Christians we live our lives, right? How, what, what we're supposed to live by. It says, don't think you can walk in faith by using the Hagar mentality. If you choose to continually try to help God out, if the promises of God are always you trying to 
help God out, that is not walking by faith. Right? It's called living by the flesh. Paul talks about it. That we find ourselves living by the flesh rather than by the spirit. Now it becomes like this real battle that continues on. You can't live by the flesh and gain the promises of the spirit. That's what Paul's saying. We are not people of Hagar. If you are a follower of Christ, you are people of Sarah, right? You are people of Abraham. You are of this bloodline. Unfortunately, we often find ourselves creating real collateral damage when we try to help God out. It, it never just affects us, right? It affects most people around us. And so this creates major problems in Abraham's house. And those problems are still our problems today, between our flesh and our spirit, and walking by faith. So God comes back to Abraham again in chapter 17. He reiterates the promise again. And you start to think, man, God is patient, is he not? So grateful that he is. Genesis 17, verse 15 through 16. Then God said to Abraham, As for Sarah your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and indeed I will give you a son by her. Then I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. So now we see Sarai, who is what was her original name, and God is going to repeat and reiterate this promise and continue to affirm the promise by changing Sarai's name. And so name creating the Bible, especially from God, is often an identity change, right? You're trying to create something new, so you've given a new name. And Sarah means princess or noble woman. God is going to make Sarah this princess, this noble woman, right? She's going to be blessed, more importantly, God steps in, and to reiterate the problem, he changes her name from Sarai to Sarah to change her identity, to give her a new destiny, right? This is difficult. She's barren. She can't produce life. She can't house life. And yet God is walking onto the scene, and he's saying, I can produce life. I will change your identity. I will change your destiny. It's the same for us. When we accept what Jesus did for us on that cross. And that he took our sin upon himself. So that we could be reconciled to God. God gave us a new identity. A new name. And regardless of what the circumstances say about our life. God is saying I'm not done. I'm not completed with what I'm doing with you. So remember, if God has given you a new name, he is going to continue to push you. He's going to continue to remind you that you are mine. And yet, and that's why these people are so great. They give us such a, a pattern and encouragement. But it's a, it's a great encouragement because they're not perfect. So Abraham hears this. And in the next couple of verses, this is what we hear from Abraham. Verse 17 through 19. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed. 
and said in his heart, Will a child be born to a man 100 years old? And will Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? The story gets crazier and crazier. They were old before, right? When the promise first started, they were old. Sarah is now 90. So, of course, Abraham finds this pretty humorous. He laughs. She hasn't been able to bear children for 89 years. And God is still telling them. And yet, in their eyes, it's getting more unrealistic by the day. So we continue the conversation. It says, And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Oh, my goodness. This is literally like talking to your children, right? You tell them something, they give you an excuse. You tell them something, they give you an excuse. uh, This is the same. He says, Abraham says, okay, Ishmael's right here. He's He's it. We have him. Right? He's right in front of us. He's the obvious choice. This is where we rub up against walking in faith, right? Because oftentimes the flesh is much easier to see. The flesh is easy to experience. It's easy to know what's going on. Ishmael is right in front of him. Obviously, God, this is the guy. He's not. Remember, we have to live as though the unseen things are real. Ishmael is real. They have yet to see the the promise of Isaac fulfilled. God goes on, patient as he is. Verse 19, but God said, no, but Sarah, your wife, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. So God continues on. Now we're going to hop over to chapter 18, where we see another attempt of God, another reiteration of the promise to these two people. It says Genesis 18, verse 9 through 12. I told you we're going to read a lot of Bible today because the Old Testament tells it in such a great way. And I encourage you to go back and read all of what we've even skipped over and not been able to get to this morning. So it says here, verse 9 through 12 in chapter 18. Then they said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? So just to give a layout here, this is where these two angelic figures have walked into their tent to see Abraham. And he said, there in the tent, he said, I will surely return to you at this time next year. And behold, Sarah, your wife, will have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door, which was behind him. So at this day and age, uh, women were, were not permitted essentially to meal at the table with these strangers. And so she was doing what good wives do. She was eavesdropping, right? I want to make sure my husband is okay, only out of love, right? Man, I'm going to get emails on that. Uh, I'm just kidding. I'm not kidding. She was eavesdropping at the door of the tent. That's why I said, read the Bible, email Jesus. He'll get back to you. She was listening Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age. Sarah was past childbearing. So Sarah gets in now on the laughing. 
Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I have become old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also. Wow, this lists it all out there for us. Sarah lists out her weaknesses, right? She was old, advanced in age, past the ability to bear children. And even more than that, she drags her husband into it. Abraham is old too. At this point, he's 100. And then in verse 12, she realizes that not only is they, are they old, but they, they can't even have enough fun to even get to the process. All you parents know what I'm talking about. They're old. They can't even, the biology isn't, doesn't work that way. They have all of these things listed here. Remember in Hebrews, back to Hebrews 11, verse 12, it says, And so from this one man, and he as good as dead. He was as good as dead. As far as offspring goes, as far as his line went, he was done. He's 100 years old. As good as dead. And yet, verse 12 continues on, it says, Came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. We serve a big God. And yet Sarah does this. She laughs. Not a funny laugh, but a laugh of doubt and disbelief of what she was hearing. Pretty much the same laugh that we have when we look at the promises of God in our own lives not coming true. And not seeing a way through them. Right? We have little faith that God really does work in the unseen. When we don't see what is seen coming around to fix the problem, we have little faith that the unseen can fix the problem. And this is where Sarah is at this point. Remember, if we can't see a culturally relevant human solution, we tend to choose to obey the world, the flesh, rather than obey God, so we laugh in the face of God and we call him a liar. But we just call it trying to help out. Well, I just want to steer God in the right direction. I want to make sure he understands my situation. Make sure he understands, you know, this, the, the world we live in. So she laughed. And even when she asked about it, right? That's why I think more and more, literally, God deals with us like we're children. Because even when God asks, right, Genesis 13, and the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh saying, shall I indeed bear a child when I am so old? Is anything too difficult for the Lord? At the point, at the appointed time, I will return to you at this time next year and Sarah will have a son. Sarah denied it, however, saying, I did not laugh for she was afraid. And he said, no, but you did laugh. It's like this argument we have with the God of the universe. He knows all, sees all. She's like, I didn't laugh. And yet we see in this passage is a pretty important question that's asked. And it's really a question that we should ask ourselves all the time. 
verse 14, is anything too hard for the Lord? Look at our circumstances now. Why should we worry? If we walk by faith, if we believe we serve the God of the universe, is anything too hard for the Lord? This is the question I think Sarah is screaming to us from the grave, right? She's in this list because her life will prove that nothing is too hard for the Lord. And when we finally decide to put it all aside and give in and obey what he's calling us to do, he's going to do great things. He's going to bless us. And so we see this 25-year gap that we've run through now this morning. From the initial promise when they were 65 and 75 to now 90 and 100. And through this whole journey of these 25 years, we've seen the flesh trying to make up the difference in reality. Right? That's what we try to do. We try to bring God into reality by making sure he understands the situation. We see the flesh trying to mitigate, go around, or help God bring about his own promises. But the promise can only be realized, even with Sarah, when captured or lived out by a life of faith. We often play a major role in delaying the promises of God in our lives. Remember what Hebrews said, without faith, it is impossible to please God. So we get back to Hebrews 11, 11 with Sarah. We're just about done. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful, who had made the promise. Remember, we have the facts. She's old. He's really old. And we have a promise of a son. Sometimes the facts in our lives cause us to not believe the promises of God. Right? Because the facts are real. They're staring us right in the face. We know the facts. That's what we spend half of our life trying to remind God of the facts. They're right in front of our face. The promise doesn't make sense in light of what is going on in our lives, right? Well, I don't, I don't have a job right now. I can't pay this. I can't pay that. You know, we're struggling in our marriage. We're struggling. You think God doesn't know the facts? So the question is, are we going to believe the facts or are we going to believe the promise? Right? Because the facts are real, right in front of us, easy to see. But the facts alone don't dictate the situation. Because God works in the unseen. We tend to function only in the seen. Only by faith can we see past what is right in front of us to live for what we cannot see. So we're going to see this. We're going to read a couple more verses because I want you to see the promise fulfilled. Then the Lord took note of Sarah in Genesis 21. As he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had promised. He promised it. 25 years they bucked the system. 
Verse 2, so Sarah conceived and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the appointed time of which God had spoken to him. I get back to everything of what my, my dad always says this to me. And you've probably heard me say it. When we're not willing to give in to what God is teaching us, it's going to come back around. He doesn't just give up on teaching us what he's calling us to do. He's going to bring about what he wants to bring about. And it's going to keep coming around. He's going to continue to bring different scenarios, trial after trial, difficulty after difficulty. And God will wait as long as it takes for faith to give life. He's going to keep coming. He's going to keep doing it. He's going to keep coming back around. 25-year gap. He continued. He continued. They continued to do their thing. Genesis 21, 6-7. Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Even who hears, everyone who hears will laugh with me. A good laugh. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. His laughter has turned. When they gave in, after repeated promises, visited by angels, an appearance by the Lord himself, Sarah finally cries out with surprise and joy at the birth of this promise. And yet we see from these 25 years, because of her doubt and her worry and her fear, she forfeited the peace of the promise that God had for her. We do that often, right? It's really easy to do it right now. That we forfeit the peace we could have in these days. The, we forfeit the peace that we could be spreading to our families, to our church families, to the world. Because of our doubt and our worry and our fear of, well, God, you don't understand what's going on. This, this, is, this, is, this is never... This is, Don't forfeit the peace that God has for us, regardless of the circumstance. But know this, if you're a child of God, trial after trial, difficulty after difficulty, until God has formed us to who he said our new name would be, our new identity. He has it. He's going to continue. It's going to be difficult. We're going to have long gaps that we are continually arguing with God about. And yet what he's saying, walk in faith. Trust me to do what I say I'm going to do. Trust that I'm telling the truth. That's what we have to do is trust God is telling us the truth and act as though he is. I just think it's a, it's a crazy story. Is anything, Sarah would say, is anything too hard for the Lord? And she got to laugh in true joy because of the promise that finally was fulfilled, finally came to fruition, when things looked more impossible than ever. God, we thank you for this day. God, we thank you for this story in your word. God, what, a, what a crazy story. Imagine if we were the players in this and how impossible it would seem, how difficult it would seem that these things could come true. And yet you have promised us 
God, remind us that without faith, it is impossible to walk with you. It is impossible to please you. Because you work in the things that are unseen. As we talked about the first week, the, the unseen things created everything that we see. It holds the power. Remind us to not always believe the facts for what we see them as. But to believe the promise. And regardless of what the facts are, you're going to make it happen. You're going to do as you said you would do in your word. You're going to continually remind us of the name that you've given us. The new identity that you've given us in your son, Jesus Christ. You will bring it about. And you will bring about whatever it takes in our lives to make that happen. Allow us not to miss the opportunity in the world we live in now. As a people of God, as a church of God. That we wouldn't forfeit peace in our lives. Forfeit the opportunity to share the gospel, to share peace with those that have none. Because they don't have the ability to bear life. God, many of those that are listening today may feel barren. Even though they feel like they've given their lives to you, they've been lifeless for a long time. Maybe they've been a Christian for 20 years. And yet the last 10 have just felt lifeless and tiring. And they're just existing, trying to get to the next day, the next week, the next year. Because life hasn't turned out like they thought it would. God, remind us that you hold the key to our destiny. You hold the key to our new name. God, that we would learn to walk by faith, even when the facts don't line up. God, we look forward to what you're going to do in the days and the weeks and the months ahead. And I pray that we would begin to push away the fog and to see what you're doing. You're calling us into what you're doing. We thank you for this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, you guys, uh, thank you for your time, and uh, I look forward to the days ahead. I, I just ask that you continue to, to stay uh, in contact as we continue to decide what next, next week and the week after that and the week after that look like, whether online or in person. Uh, just uh, continue to pray for your leadership that, uh, that, uh, that they would be godly-informed decisions and that God would continue to be on the forefront of, of all of those things that are done. We thank you, and uh, we'll see you guys soon. Love you guys. Bye.